What an incredible opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. As Pastor Sean already mentioned, we have an amazing group of students and adult leaders going to Look Up Lodge uh, from now until Friday. If I remember the number correctly, it's 86 individuals are going, and so that is a large uh, component. And uh, we are just praying that God will show continually His faithfulness uh, to His Word uh, and to His Spirit and that lives will be changed. Think about it, 86 amazing opportunities uh, to impact uh, not only our church family, but the community that we live in and the community that they find themselves in, whatever that next step uh, that the Lord has for them. And so what an amazing opportunity. We also have an amazing opportunity at this time uh, to study God's word together. And so to prepare our hearts and minds, uh, let us pray together before we do so. Lord, we are just thankful for this opportunity to turn open Uh, to your word, your holy inspired word, Uh, Lord, the absolute truth that never, ever, ever will change, uh, and it sustains every attack, uh, Lord, that there is nothing that can uh, take away from the power that is displayed to us through your gospel. I pray that we would uh, grab a hold of every single word uh, by grace through faith, And Lord, it will uh, not only uh, transform our lives today, but Lord, it will prepare us for our future glory in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, we're going to continue our sermon series walking through this amazing chapter of Psalm 119. We're specifically going to be in verses 57 through 64 this morning. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 570, 570. As we walk through uh, this particular chapter, uh, we are breaking it into 22 different messages because it lines up exactly the way the scripture was written. Uh, There's 176 verses in this amazing chapter, and those verses are broken into 22 different stanzas. This is a poem that the psalmist has written. And uh, each of those stanzas is uh, incongruent with one of the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. And so each, alpha, each uh, stanza is uh, identified at the top by one of those Hebrew letters. And then each verse in that particular stanza starts with that same Hebrew letter. And so as what we've done, uh, each uh, message, and we'll do it again this morning, is we'll look at that Hebrew letter and see how it looks in the original language. So this morning, the Hebrew letter is het. And you can see there on the right-hand side, Uh, those letters that show up on each of those verses. Again, Hebrew language is right to left, not left, or right, yeah, right to left, not left to right. Uh, The idea of this Hebrew letter uh, is a picture of of a fenced-in area. Uh, The idea is a fenced-in area where we do life, and and it's in that fenced-in area where we do life uh, that we get to see and experience uh, the blessings and the gifts of God. And uh, when I think about this, this fenced-in area, what comes to my mind, uh, just from personal experience growing up, is kind of like a courtyard, if you will. And, and, and many of us may not be familiar with a, a courtyard-type um, thought pattern, but uh, growing up, one of the high schools that I attended was in uh, Turkey, the country Turkey. And what I loved about this high school, and I have a picture, that's the best picture I could find. You've got to understand, that was a, that was a while ago, right? Um, but you can see in this courtyard that, that all the doors, so you see locked, everything was outside. So you had to physically go outside to get to your class. So all the doors to our class, you can see it, there's a courtyard, has a ping pong table, it's got benches, it's got seats, uh, stairs where people would sit and eat lunch. So everything, the goal was everything would happen where? 
outside in the courtyard. And I, and I, we were there for three years, a little over three years, and I, and I honestly can't remember a time where it actually rained and we weren't allowed to enjoy life in this particular courtyard. But this is where life was supposed to happen. So it wasn't that you were confined to hallways and all those different things and you could see outside but couldn't be outside. Everything was designed to, to force us into this courtyard, even as we changed classes. You got to go outside the door into the courtyard, cross the courtyard to get to another class. And the, and the goal was that we would experience life together. And so when you think about the psalmist for a minute, the psalmist is talking about uh, the life that God has blessed him with in the midst of this fenced-in area, a courtyard, with, if you will. And it's inside this courtyard, this fenced-in area, that he is experiencing, even in the hardest of times, he's experiencing the blessing of God and the gifts of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, let's uh, read the passage in its fullness, in, starting in verse 57 through 64, and then we'll unpack it uh, together. Uh, beginning in verse 57, the scripture says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise and pray to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. And just like all the other uh, messages that we've had, everything is anchored where? It's anchored in God's word. And from this passage, the psalmist is going to show us, and we're going to look at six specific gifts that we see based on this life, these, these boundaries that God has set for us within the courtyard of life, if you will, the gifts that God provides to us in the midst of that. And the first one is this, the gift of satisfaction. The gift of satisfaction. Do you believe today as a child of God that you can live on this earth completely satisfied in Christ? I mean, that's a bold statement. Today, right now, as a brother or sister in Christ, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, that no matter what is happening, you can be satisfied in the Lord. And that's what the psalmist says. Look at that first powerful statement in verse 57. The Lord is my portion. Now, oftentimes, when we think about portion, we're thinking about food, right? You've got to have right portions. I wish we didn't have that, right? You've got to have right portion side. But when we think about this word portion from an Old Testament perspective, uh, this, this idea of portion refers to an inheritance. And this inheritance has deep roots. It goes all the way back to the covenant that God made with, with Abraham. Uh, it was through uh, that covenant that was made with Abraham that, that, that there was a promised Messiah that was eventually going to come. Uh, Abraham was, uh, was promised that, that through, through his descendants, uh, the, through the nations, uh, that, that that would be God's people. And there was a promise of a land, right? So you ultimately have a people and a land, right? So let's think about the people. And I don't want to give too much to, to cloud your understanding of Old Testament and how this portion is rooted, but I do think if we can just grab a hold of just a little bit, we'll appreciate what the psalmist is saying even more. So think about uh, the people of God for just a minute. Uh, Abraham eventually is going to have a grandson named Jacob, right? Uh, God changes Jacob's name uh, to Israel, right? So that's important. Uh, Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is the name Levi, and when God's people go into the land, they are given, each son 
tribe, so you have Levi, the Levites would be one of the tribes, uh, they would go into the land, and that land would be, would be split up. So it'd be like uh, your dad inheriting land from somebody, and you have 12 children in your family, and, and everybody gets a piece of that land, right? So take that in your mind. So all the 12 sons received a portion of the land except for one, Levi. So the tribe of the Levites didn't receive any of the land. And the purpose was that they would, they would be able to survive. God would provide everything that ne- they needed through, uh, really, the, the tithes of the other 11 sons. So the land was used to, in order to survive. And so the Levites were trusting in God that the people around them will supply the needs that they have, right? So that's what they're trusting in. And, and think about the call that the Levites had. The Levites were dedicating their entire lives uh, to the things of the Lord, Thinking about the temple and all those different things. So the priesthood uh, comes through the, the tribe of Levi. And, and think about what the scripture says in Hebrew, or Numbers 18, verse 20. The scripture says, And the Lord said to Aaron, now Aaron was a descendant of Levi, so he's part of this Levite tribe. Uh, he says, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So why is this significant? We go back to Psalm 119. Again, we don't know who the psalmist is. We don't know exactly all the circumstances that are displayed in Psalm 119. But let's just think for just a moment. Let's just think that the psalmist is actually living in captivity to the Babylonians, which is a great probability. Think about it like this. His nation is gone. His possessions are gone. His physical freedom is gone. His family, at best, is scattered abroad. And his life, as he once knew it, the life that he actually loved, is now no more. And it's in those circumstances that the psalmist says, the Lord is my portion. Think about that personal pronoun, my. It's, it's his, right? So he's thinking about his inheritance comes from the Lord. In other words, what, what he treasures the most, what ultimately satisfies him, is the fact that the Lord is his portion. In other words, the Lord is his everything. It's his source. It's his supply. And we think about the prophet Jeremiah. He would echo these same words during his time of captivity. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24, the scripture says, The Lord is what? My portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And so the question needs to be asked for us today is, where do we truly find satisfaction today? In other words, where do we really find our inheritance today? Is our inheritance and satisfaction found in the things that we have done, right? That's often how we provide an inheritance to the next generation is based on the things that we have done. Or is our ultimate inheritance, our ultimate satisfaction found in the things that God has done? And here's the reality. Nothing will satisfy the depths of your soul or my soul like the Lord Jesus, right? Nothing. You can search all you want. You can try to turn up everything upside down. You can turn over every rock that this world has to offer. And guess what? It will never truly satisfy you. Your ultimate satisfaction in life can and will only be found in the inheritance that comes from the Lord. So what do we know about this inheritance? Just a little bit. The Apostle Paul talks about it in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In other words, that is our our inheritance in the heavenly places, meaning it doesn't come from us. 
It comes from the Lord. And what is this spiritual blessing? What is this inheritance that we receive because of the finished work of Christ? Well, from verse, thir- uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 in Ephesians to verse 14, guess what? It's one sentence. It's one long sentence, right? And in there, it talks about the inheritance that we have, the spiritual blessing that we have in its fullness as a, fall- as a child of God. The scripture talks about how we are chosen, right? We are, we are God's prized possession. Not because we deserve it or because we earn it. This is what God has set his affection on us for. We are the people of God. We are adopted into his family. I mean, think about that. That God adopts us into his family. We're we're redeemed. That means we've been fully purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been set free from all of our bondage, all of our captivity. We are forgiven. That means because of the blood of Jesus, all of our past, present, and future sins are what? Are forgiven in Christ. Where we deserve the wrath of God, Jesus stood in our So we're forgiven. Think about just those spiritual blessings to know that we're chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. Man, those are spiritual blessings that I hope we truly embrace every single day. That in the courtyard of our life, that our true identity is found there. Now the question is, is it really secure? How do we know that 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 inheritance is actually ours? Well, the scripture goes on to say in verses 13 through 14, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So there's a belief aspect here, right? You were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit reminds us, the Holy Spirit that indwells every follower of Christ, right? Fully. The Holy Spirit reminds us that that transaction, in order to have that inheritance secure, has already happened. It is secure. It is guaranteed. It is real. It is ours. That's why, when we hear that phrase, the Lord is my portion, that is why that is so significant for us today, that no matter what happens in this life, the Lord truly is our portion. And notice the psalmist's response to that fact, the fact that the Lord was his portion. He says in the second part of verse 57, I promise to keep your words. So think about the logic here. The psalmist says, in you I lack absolutely nothing. In you I am completely satisfied. And my response to that is what? I will keep your words. The psalmist's love for the Lord anchors his obedience to the Lord. And the same is true for us as followers of Christ. In fact, uh, when Jesus is spending those last hours with his disciples before he goes to the cross from uh, John chapter 13 through uh, John chapter 16, uh, we see this amazing dialogue begin to happen between Jesus and his disciples. And he talks about the link between love of God and obedience towards God. And this is important because he says in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there is a clear understanding, a direct relationship between our love for God and our obedience to God. Now that is an important question to consider. The question is, am I supposed to live my life proving that I love him. In other words, it's based on my works, my performance. So when I'm doing really well, then I feel pretty good about what I'm doing. If I'm not doing well, then I'm a little concerned, right? It is the idea that Jesus is communicating that, that we are to spend our lives proving that we love him by our obedience, 
Or is our obedience towards God simply the overflow of our love for him? In other words, if our affection for the Lord is right, then the actions will follow, right? Or is it my actions are what drive the love? You see, I think that's the struggle that many of us have today. Our struggle is we think the actions go first in order to establish the love. And what the gospel teaches us time and time and time again, that it is love that drives the actions. There is a huge fundamental difference to that. In other words, obedience is the fruit of our life, not the focus of our life. How do we know? Jesus says in John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will what? You will abide in my love. You will rest in my love. In other words, what motivates me and what truly motivates you to obey God's word doesn't come because you're strong enough to do it. Because I don't know about you, I haven't found one, including myself, that's strong enough to do it. What motivates you and what motivates me to obey God's word comes from the very fact that I am already, before I do anything, I'm already greatly loved. And it's that, it's that truth that motivates me to want to honor and obey my heavenly Father. The cross of Christ proves that I am greatly loved. Therefore, he is my portion. Therefore, I am satisfied. I am greatly loved. And I obey. So when you think about that first gift, the gift of satisfaction, what and who are you turning to for ultimate satisfaction in life? If it's not the Lord, listen, God gives us amazing, great things, right? He gives us gifts of different relationships with people. If it be a husband and wife or a best friend or whatever, it's not that we don't enjoy those things and, and, and uh, spend time in those things, but ultimately, guess what? Your ultimate satisfaction cannot be found in any of those things, even no matter how good they are. Your ultimate satisfaction can only be found in the Lord. The second gift that we find in this passage is the gift of grace, the gift of grace. So again, we close verse 57 with this amazing pledge, this amazing commitment, I promise to keep your words. And then you can almost sense the psalmist thinking, I can't do it on my own, right? This amazing commitment, this amazing phrase of what I'm going to do. And then it's like the psalmist says, I can't do it on my own. And here's the psalmist prayer. He has a prayer in verse 58. He says, I entreat your favor. So it's an urgent prayer. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. This idea of favor refers to the face or the presence of God. The psalmist in humility knows his need for the Lord to strengthen him, to encourage him, to uphold him. Not because he deserves it, but what does he anchor it in? He anchors it in the promises of God, the character of God. In other words, the psalmist makes this commitment, I'm going to keep your word, but then he immediately recognizes that he can't do it on his own, so where does he go? He goes to the grace of God, and that's exactly what we find in life. We have been gifted with the grace of God, and it's our humility towards the Lord that allows us to grab a hold of that grace every single day, right? Uh, Think about Luke 18 as an example. In Luke 18, you have two main characters. You have a Pharisee and a tax collector. Uh, the Pharisee struts into the temple, right, arrogantly. He, he's the man, right? He makes sure that everybody hears what he has to say because he's the guy. But then you have the tax collector, the one who was lower than the sinner, right? The one who actually robbed people and took more than he was supposed to. 
This tax collector, he goes into that same temple, completely broken, completely shattered. Why? Because he knows he doesn't deserve anything. And it's there he expresses his heart. In Luke 18, he says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast. It's a, it's a picture of shame, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, anyone that has an ounce of integrity in their walk with the Lord pleads those very same words. Be merciful to me, a sinner. We all sin. We all wander from the Lord. We all mess up in that courtyard of life. And we all need God's grace and favor in our lives. The psalmist knows he is so undeserving, but humbly he pleads for God to be gracious. And speaking of that humility, the prophet Isaiah says himself in chapter 66, he says, but this is the one whom I will look. So this is the Lord speaking to the prophet Isaiah. This is the, whom, this is the person whom I will look. He who is what? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. It's the humility of the follower of Christ that gets to enjoy the gift of God's amazing grace. Therefore, let the the prayer of all God's people, including us today, to deepen our need for his grace. Because apart from him, what? We can do absolutely nothing. And Jesus communicates that same thing in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, when we recognize our need for the Lord every day, we will receive the gift of God's amazing grace and where we could do nothing on our own, everything is possible in the Lord. So let that be our prayer. Let the prayer be that of what Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 11, the scripture says in this prayer that Jesus is modeling to his disciples and praying himself, he says, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, give us the provisions that are necessary for today. It reminds us of what happens in the book of Exodus uh, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their rebellion, right? And yet it's in that wilderness time that God is gracious. Every day he gives them manna, right? Bread. Showers it down from heaven. That's what we need to be reminded of. That, that, let's be honest. Even in our times of wandering, God is gracious, right? He's merciful to us, right? He doesn't give us what we deserve, and he certainly withholds what we do deserve. And there we find manna for the day. And so let it be that though we are overwhelmed at times, let us be reminded that God will give us the grace necessary to overcome. But it takes humility to rest in the abundant grace that is offered to us. At the end of the day, we must recognize that either I am able or he is able. Right? That's the challenge. Now, in a safe environment, we will always say he is able. But when life hits, we want to take control, right? And here's what we need to be reminded in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 8. We've seen this verse many times recently. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, what gives us uh, the ability to overcome and to endure and to uh, obey comes from the gift of God's amazing grace. So in humility, where do you need God's grace today? Where do you need it? The third gift that we find in this amazing courtyard 
is the gift of repentance, the gift of repentance. Verse 59, the scripture says, when I think of on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. That phrase, when I think of my ways, means the, the psalmist is making a deliberate choice. Uh, he's considering or he's examining his life. He's examining the choices he's making. He's, he's examining why he's making those choices. He's examining the direction that he's actually headed in life. Uh, and, and it's this practice of examining our lives that is so critical for the life of the believer. Why? Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And it's, the issue isn't that we God, God hasn't given us the ability to reason out. He's given us a mind, right? Uh, the, the issue is that, that so much of our life decisions are fluctuating between how we feel. And what we see right in front of us. And so what we need to understand is that we need to examine our ways so that we don't live life bouncing from one thing to another thing to another thing. There is a consistent walk that God has for us. But what we find is that we, we get off track, don't we? And so that's why that daily examination is so important. I love what Haggai uh, verse uh, 7 says in chapter 1. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now that short verse is amazing because I love uh, the word consider there. If you read the original uh, Hebrew translation, that word consider actually happens twice. So the scripture would say, consider, consider your ways. And what I love about it even more is there's two separate words that are used for consider. The first word that is used for considered, it talks about setting everything out on the table, laying your cards on the table, right? Uh, the second word that is used is talking about exposing the inner man, the inner mind, the inner heart, uh, the inner you. And why is that significant? Because if we're honest, when we consider our ways, when we lay our cards on the table, guess what? We, we tend to have a little bit more to go, right? We don't show the whole hand, right? Because that's the part that really scares us. That's the part that if people really, really knew what would happen. It's the same is true with God. If God really knew what he already does, right? What's, he, what's his response going to be to me? And that's why when, the, and when Haggai says, consider, consider, he says, hey, don't just lay the cards on the table and that's it. Go deeper, right? Go a little bit deeper. Those places that scare you, those places that haunt you, those places that nobody knows about, go to those places, examine those places. So it's not just the question of what am I doing, but why am I doing it? That is the deeper question in life. It's not just my actions, my behavior. The question is, why am I doing what I'm doing? And so the psalmist chooses to have an intensive self-evaluation, a soul-searching evaluation. He's turning everything upside down to see if his steps are wayward. And what's his purpose? He says that he desires to turn his feet towards the Lord's word. The word turn there talks about repentance. It means to stop doing what you're doing and to turn. It's a 180 turn to the things of the Lord. Do you realize that we have the gift of repentance today? Now, oftentimes we don't see the gift of repentance as a gift, but it is. It truly is a gift of repentance. That also means to us that we, we have the power because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the power and the capacity to do what? To repent. We actually have the ability to do it. Lamentations 3, uh, verse 40 says, let us test and examine our ways and do what? And return to the Lord. So when we think about the gift of repentance, the issue is not ever does God have the power to do it. That's not the issue. The great issue that we face is our delay, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of something and we don't address it right away, right? We kind of push it off to the side. It reminds me of uh, a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, God's 
angels go to Lot and says, you've got to get out of there, right? Before the city is destroyed. Uh, Abraham himself goes to Lot and says, wake up, right? There's wickedness everywhere, and you're, you're right there. You've got to get out of there. And, and here's what happens in uh, Genesis 19, right before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out uh, because of their unrepentantness. Uh, God's word says uh, in uh, Genesis 19, verses 15 through 60, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up! So that's a strong word. Get up, get out of here. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Least you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 6, you would think that if angels came to you and said, get up, get your most prized possession, your children and your wife, and get out of here, you would expect that the immediate response would be what? We're getting out of here, right? But what does it say? In verse 16, but he what? But he lingered. We don't know why, but he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And this is the mercy of God right here. And then the scripture says, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. That even when Lot was lingering, didn't want to go. God's mercy met him and removed him out of the city. In other words, God is going to go to great lengths to intervene in your life and my life, right? Here's the issue that we're trying to learn from this passage. Is oftentimes a delayed repentance is no repentance at all, right? And that's the scripture. Lot always struggled with that. And what we need to be reminded of, that there is always going to be a danger of putting it off until tomorrow, right? Because then there's another day and another day. In fact, the author of Hebrews explains it like this, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. The scripture says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so again, this is the Holy Spirit convicting his people, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So it's an Old Testament story of God's uh, waywardness and rebellion in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason why they stay there is because they're constantly rebelling, unrepentantness. He says, so using it as an example, he goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, Take care, brothers. So he's talking to the church now. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you uh, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called what? Today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this verse is not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking to believers in the Lord, brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord, and says, don't be like them. Don't continually harden your heart to the things of God. Why? Because you're going to miss out on the blessings of God. Stop rebelling now. And then he closes it with verse 15. And it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So three times in Hebrews 3, in that short passage, the scripture says, today, today, today. And that begs the question, where do you need to repent today? Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you to repent? don't delay. So we have the gift of repentance. We have the gift of gratitude. Gratitude is the next gift. Uh, Notice the context of where uh, the psalmist expresses this thankfulness, this gratitude. He says in uh, verse 61, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. In other words, the psalmist is experiencing some really hard times. Uh, People are opposing him. People are opposing the Lord. He refers to these cords. So uh, if you ever uh, were walking and your feet got tripped up on, like wrapped around a cord or something, you, you start to stumble, right? Sometimes that happens late at night as well, and 
you're like, what is, who put that there, right? Um, and so that idea is like you're just getting tangled up. So moving forward is very, very difficult. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to slip, uh, slow him down. But yet he says in the midst of all that, I'm not going to forget your word. In other words, the hardships that we are facing today don't give us an excuse to turn our back on the Lord, right? That's what the psalmist is reminding us. The opposite is true for the psalmist. Instead of turning away from the Lord when life got hard, he's still pressing forward. He's still pressing in the Lord. He's trusting that God would give him exactly what he need in order to endure it. It reminds me of Psalm 42. Psalm 42, uh, the psalmist is experiencing, again, tremendous hardship. He expresses it in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 42. He says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And so think about uh, being underneath a waterfall, a powerful waterfall, or uh, in the ocean, and you just have wave after wave after wave crashing on you. And so the psalmist says, I I have all these internal things going on in my life. I have all these external things going on in my life. I'm drowning here. Uh, the The noise of the waterfall that is beating down on me, I cannot hear anything else but that. It seems like there is no escape. There is no relief in sight. And yet, in the midst of that, in verse he begins to affirm God's sovereign love over him. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so in the darkest moments of his day, he says, the Lord commands, that's a beautiful word, the Lord commands his steadfast love to the psalmist. In other words, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that's going to stop the psalmist from experiencing the unconditional presence and love of God. And so when you get to Psalm 119, and the psalmist says, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, he says this in verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of what? Your righteous rule. So yes, there's problems all around me. But guess what? God's love rescues me over and over and over again. What gets him out of the bed at midnight? Not because he's got to go to the bathroom. What gets him out of bed at midnight is the fact that the joy of the Lord is in his heart. The Lord is redeeming the midnight hour. Praise God for that. How many of us need that today? That God would redeem our midnight hour. And there the psalmist is thankful. He, he rises to praise the Lord. That word praise talks about his thankfulness, his gratitude to Uh, the things of the Lord. And David writes about this in Psalm 142 in the midst of his running and getting in, hiding in caves and all this different thing. People coming at and attacking him. He says in Psalm 142, verses five through seven, he says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. He says, I am weak. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give what? Give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. That's what I love about the Psalms. It's not some fantasy land, right? This is real life, hardship of life, and yet it's in the midst of that that the psalmists find the presence of God. And there, there is gratitude. The same is true for us. David is trusting that the Lord would supply the provisions necessary to endure even in his weakness. And the expression of that is gratitude, thankfulness. So, question for you today. Where do you need gratitude today? He's not complaining, right? He's showing tremendous gratitude towards the Lord. So we have the gift of gratitude. We also have the gift of community. Community. With everything that is going on in the psalmist's life, uh, he's reminded that he doesn't have to do life on his own, right? Praise God for that. He says in verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep 
your precepts. That word companion is a, is a major word. It's not talking about an acquaintance or an associate. Uh, the word uh, companion talks about something that is bound together. It's used also in Genesis where it talks about that relationship, that marriage relationship between one man and one woman, that binding together. And so uh, he says that, th- that he is bound together with who? Who's the psalmist bound together with? Is he bound to those who support his favorite sports team? Is that who he bounds his life to? Is he binding himself to the people that have the same political views as him? Is he binding himself to the people that have the same color of skin as him? Is he binding himself to the people that are culturally the same? No. He says, I am binding myself to who? The family of God, those who fear the Lord and seek to obey his word. The psalmist is surrounding himself around those who have a shared commitment to the Lord. Examine your influence today, the group of influence that you surround yourself with and around Are they truly encouraging you to deepen your dependency and your walk with the Lord? I mean, think about that. Why does that matter? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Right? The immediate context here in 1 Corinthians is uh, there's a group of false teachers that are going into the church, uh, and they are denying the resurrection of Jesus. Right? That's a gospel issue, right? And, and, And Paul is saying, get away from them. Don't, don't stay there and hear horrible gospel, false gospel. Get out of there. Why? Because if you sit under that kind of teaching, guess what? You're going to be, begin to believe that the resurrection of Jesus didn't really happen. And guess what? When the resurrection of Jesus falls in your thought pattern, everything else goes with it, right? And so Paul is saying, listen, surround yourself, bind yourself to people that are, are, are truly going to teach the gospel, specifically in the context, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. So think about your influence today. Who you're surrounding yourself around. Who you're listening to on a radio or podcast or whatever it is, your social media influence. Proverbs 13 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Listen, we have been gifted by God's amazing grace, the gift of gospel community. Right? Doesn't mean it's easy, right? The question is, are you enjoying that? Is that the major influence in your life? Is the community of faith your greatest influence? The other thing is, how have you been blessed with gospel community today? Man, praise God for that. And lastly, the gift of God's faithfulness. The gift of God's faithfulness. You know, when you think about God's faithfulness, it's everywhere, right? It is everywhere. And that's what the psalmist ends with in 64. He says, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love, has said, covenant love, teach me your statutes. Lord, in my life, with all its ups and downs and twists and turns, hard places and times of rejoicing, guess what? Your faithfulness is everywhere. I was just having uh, lunch with a dear brother in Christ this past week, and one of the things I said, I said, I saw the faithfulness of God even before I knew him. So after I came to faith in Christ, I I could see God's faithfulness over me before I even knew him. How much greater is God's faithfulness to to me today as his beloved child. Listen, do you recognize the Lord's faithfulness in your life today? Everywhere you turn, God is showing his faithfulness. The evidence of God's faithfulness is everywhere. As we recognize the Lord's faithfulness, guess what? It will desire, it will put in us a desire to be lifelong disciples of Jesus. So as the worship team comes up and leads us in our time of response, think about those gifts that we have, the gift of satisfaction, grace, repentance, gratitude, community, and God's faithfulness towards us. And it all hinges on what? 
Are you truly satisfied in him? Right? That's what the question is every single day is, am I truly satisfied in the Lord? Psalm 16, verse 5 through 6 says this, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you trust that you have a beautiful inheritance now because of the work of Christ? Verse 11 in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in the courtyard of your life and my life, do we see the gifts that we have because of the Lord? Listen, at the end of the day, in the world that we live in, just give me Jesus. That's what the scripture is saying. Just give me Jesus over and over and over again. So whatever your decision is today, I don't know where the Lord is speaking to you today when you think about those gifts. Are you celebrating those gifts? Are you enjoying those gifts today? No, you don't deserve it. No, you haven't earned it. Same with me. But guess what? We can enjoy those as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So maybe you need to repent today. Maybe you need to find true satisfaction in the Lord today. Maybe there's a recognition that I haven't been living by the grace of God. I've been living in my own strength. Maybe today you're recognizing, you know what? I haven't been surrounding myself around uh, the community of faith. Listen, whatever that next step is for you, maybe it's to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. Let us worship the Lord. The evidence of God's faithfulness is all around us. The altar will be open for you. I'd be, I'll be